it's a days count. You look at the days that it's treated as your main residence, and then you divide that by your ownership period. Whatever the percentage that comes out, that's the percentage that of the capital gain that's disregarded. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 327 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Sorry, just a quick comment before we start. A quick comment about episode 326, Text Deducting Your Home Loan, which went live last Tuesday. I got an email from somebody called Don, aka HTH, which pointed out that I used messy terminology when I speak about home loans and mortgages. And so to clarify this, and to set the record straight, here is the email. So it starts with, hello Heide, I-M-H-O, and I had to think for a while what I-M-H-O possibly could mean. I think it means, in my humble opinion. So, hello Heide, in my humble opinion, you're confusing the meanings of home loan and mortgage. A mortgage is a security instrument which is usually irrelevant for income tax. A mortgage is not a loan. And not is in capital letters. A mortgage is not a loan. A bank loan is often secured by a mortgage. Interest on a home loan may or may not be tax deductible. Whether the home loan is secured by a mortgage is unimportant. Thanks for your podcast, HTH. Thank you, HTH, for clarifying this. You're right. I stand corrected. I had been muddling these two terms. I hadn't really been clear in my mind how one is different from the other. So very much appreciated. I will be more precise going forward. So now to episode 327, brainstorming duplex development. Let's do some brainstorming about the tax implications of duplex developments. Let's use the example from the last episode. Bill bought a main residence in Darwin for $200,000, lived in it for a few years, then moved to Perth for a few years and then came back. That is the example from the last episode, which Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne pulled out of TR2000-2. But now let's spin this further. What if Bill then moves out again to build two duplexes and then moves back into one of them? When does the main residence exemption stop in this scenario? And does it ever stop for the half he moves back into? And can Bill tax deduct the interest while the duplexes are being built? These are just some of the questions to Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne. But please bear in mind that I gave Andrew no pre-warning at all. We had met to talk about tax deducting your home loan and we did in the last episode. But then I hijacked the conversation and asked Andrew about duplex developments. So Andrew had no inkling and no time to prepare, but he still made some very helpful comments that will put us into good stead for next Monday. Hence, I wanted to share them with you. So see the following as a fireside chat to get ready for the next episode. So let's say Bill has moved back to Darwin and he lives in his house on a big block of land and now he moves out again to build two duplexes on it and he plans to move back into one of the duplexes and plans to rent out the other duplex. Can he tax deduct any of the interest while he's not living on the construction site? It would need to get over the initial 8-1 question 
And Steele's case does say that interest can be deductible even if that outgoing is incurred before assessable income is produced. So Steele's case is positive because that's exactly what happened in Steele's case. And it could even be deductible if no income is ever generated from from the property. The negative, though, is there are now limits on deductions where the expense is associated with holding vacant land. And these are contained in section 26-102. So the provision is relatively complex, but what it intends to do is prevent certain types of taxpayers claiming deductions for holding costs. So things like rates, interest, land tax. I thought that limit was only for actual land banking. So if you're holding farmland in the hope that the zoning will change for that area soon. But I didn't realize it also applied to land that you are actively building on. Yeah, well, it, it applies if there is no substantial and permanent structure in use or available for use on the land. So keep the cubby house. Yeah, it needs to be residential premises that are allowed to be lawfully, like, that are lawfully <laughs> able to be occupied. Um, and they have to be actually lease hired or licensed or available for such. So uh, you'd probably be limited by this section from claiming any of those costs for the period that it is not yet residential premises that are lawfully able to be occupied and are actually leased or available for lease. I see. And does that also apply to builders who are building on income, on income account? Yeah. So there's there's some exclusions from these rules. So for example, if the entity is a corporate tax entity, um, so company in other words, then these rules don't apply. If the entity is carrying on a business in on the land, then the rules also don't apply. So things like farmers and also property developers that hold property on, on income account. It could even be a large build to rent type project. They could be carrying on a business. If you're not carrying on a business, then you're you're in the problem situation. And in that case, you may be prevented by this rule from claiming any of the deductions despite meeting the conditions of 8.1. If somehow Bill got around this limit on the cost of holding land because, for example, he does run the construction through a company, but the company would also need to own the land, correct? Yeah, a company would need to own the land. Yeah, which wouldn't be the case because we were talking about the main residence exemption and, of course, for the main residence exemption, Bill would have to hold the land in his own name. Yeah, it might be that the land was transferred from individual name to a company. Now, of course, there there might be a good CGT treatment on doing that, but probably not a good stamp duty treatment on doing that. However, it might mean that it's quite simple for claiming those costs if there was a development. So it's something to weigh up in that concoction of, of factors that are positive and negative on and how a development should be structured. Let's put interest aside now and look at the main residence exemption. Up to what point does the main residence exemption apply in this example. So Bill moves back from Perth to Darwin, lives in it a little while, moves out again, builds two duplexes on it, and then moves back into one of the duplexes. Does the main residence exemption run all the way through for half of the property? It should run 
because you can only claim one property as your main residence at all times, then at most you're going to be able to claim one of the two duplexes and you could claim one duplex for the whole time so long as you do occupy that new dwelling as your main residence before disposing of it. So take the example of a property, existing residential premises, it's been used as main residence, it's demolished, two townhouses are built and both are sold or both are rented for five years and then sold. In both scenarios, there's no main residence exemption because the things that were sold are dwellings that were never used as a main residence. The previous dwelling was, but that's not really relevant to assessing the main residence exemption. Regarding the main residence exemption, let's take a scenario where a person has purchased a block of land many years ago and occupied it as their main residence and now wants to try their hand at a little bit of property development. The the house is old, needs a bit of a facelift, so it's decided that the house will be demolished, the block of land subdivided, and two new townhouses built on the land. And does Bill move into one of them? Well, let's firstly assume that Bill does move into one of those townhouses. So then... Shouldn't the main residence exemption apply? Well, the main, yeah, the main residence exemption would apply if the townhouse that he lived in was sold in the future, but not for the other townhouse and not to any extent for the other townhouse. There's no pro rataing There's no seeing what the market value was at the time that the old house was knocked down. It's just not a dwelling that was ever used as a main residence. So... Oh, really? So he loses half of the main residence exemption? Essentially, yeah. So if you contrast that scenario to disposing of the entire property to, say, a company or a trust, then a full main residence would be claimed for at the time of the disposal to the company or trust. Let's say that the land's actually transferred with the existing house on it. And then for the new entity, it would just have market value cost space at that point. Let's say the block is worth four million now, and he bought it for two hundred thousand many years ago. So he has a three point eight million capital gain on it. If he can maintain it for one of them, so then he has a one point nine million capital gain covered by the main residence exemption. But the other one point nine million basically then has no no cost base whatsoever. I mean, of course, apart from the Yeah, it would have $100,000 of cost base. You would look at a capital gain of the 1.9 million. And even if you can apply the 50% CGT discount, that's still $950,000 of capital gain that is then taxed at top marginal tax rates. So that would be massive. So then you would have to look at what the stamp duty is on selling a property of 3.8 million. But my gut feeling is the stamp duty will be less than 450,000. That's the tax he would have to pay on the capital gain at top marginal tax rates. Yeah, precisely, precisely. You can't change that application by, say, living in one property, then selling that and then moving into the other. You could perhaps get a partial exemption for the time you lived in duplex number two, but you couldn't get main residence for both properties all the way back to when they were first acquired. Is it possible to somehow only sell half of the property? So you basically, you subdivide 
and then you sell half of it and you keep the other one, then at least the main residence exemption applies at the time you sell half of it. It would be possible to dispose of half of your land, but the trouble is that you you can't choose, unless it's already subdivided, you can't choose which bit of the land you're selling. It's it's just a, it would be a 50% interest in all of the land. Yeah, so you have to subdivide. Before you sell, you subdivide and then you sell one half. And so then you have the main residence exemption on that half. Well, it would depend then, what you're selling. If you're selling, if what you're selling is just vacant land, then, the main then there would be no main residence apply. exemption. Yeah, so it's a really tricky area because so you would have to sell half of the house yeah you'd need half to sell the, the house and half to sell the, the dwelling yeah it's a really tricky area and if you get caught out it can be pretty severe the consequences because if you get no man residence exemption then it's it, expensive it's expensive exactly the trick would be to subdivide the block in a way that the subdivision runs right through the house then you sell that half of the subdivided land with the half of the building on it and then you at least have the main residence exemption up to that point for the entire block and then you just continue half of the main residence exemption for the second block all the way through i think the only problem with that is i'm, I'm not sure how many councils would allow a subdivision <laughs> that goes right through a particular house. So overlaid on all this is, of course, what's actually going to be subdividable and, and complying with council requirements to have plans of subdivision actually registered. How does the main residence exemption work if you have a period in between that is not covered by the main residence? So let's say you hold the main residence for four years and claim it as your main residence. Then you hold another property, for example, for 10 years and you claim the main residence exemption for that property, then you sell that property and you move back into this old property and hold it for another six years. So over a period of 20 years, you held it for 10 years. How is the main residence exemption calculated? You look at the full capital gain, you look at the time you were away, and then you prorata it. The starting point is you ask the question, are you entitled to a full main residence exemption for, for the sale of a property. And to be entitled to a full main residence exemption, you need to use it as your main residence for your entire ownership period. And you can, if you've got multiple properties, you can choose which one you want to treat as your main residence. And the choice is made when you lodge a tax return. So there is some element of choosing when it suits you, I guess. Yes, and you make the choice in the tax return, in the year you sold a property. So, so long as no property is sold, then you essentially don't need to make any choice whatsoever until such time as a property is actually sold. If a property is not treated as your main residence for your entire ownership period, you have to fall back to the partial main residence exemption rules. Essentially what they do is it's, it's a days count. You look at the days that it's treated as your main residence and then you divide that by your ownership period. Uh, whatever the percentage that comes out, that's the percentage that, of the capital gain that's disregarded. So in this example where you lived in it for four years, then it wasn't your main residence for 10 years, and then you lived in it for another six years. So in this example, half of the uh, capital gain would be exempt under the main residence exemption, and the other half of the capital gain would be 
would be fully taxed with a 50% CGT discount, correct? Yep, correct, correct, yep. It becomes more complex when you're dealing with deceased estates and pre-CGT properties and things like that, but those are the general position. And just quickly coming back to the example of the townhouse, you can claim the main residence exemption during the building period because you, you can claim it under the six-year absence rule. As long as the construction doesn't take more than six years, even though you didn't live in it, you can still claim the main residence exemption during the construction period, correct? Yeah, there's also rules about purchasing land that you intend to build on as well. So it, that, that allow you when you don't necessarily start using the property as your main residence straight away, that treat it as if you were, that it is still your main residence. So for example, you buy land, you don't move in straight away because you're building a house on it. There are rules that allow for that as well. Welcome back. So these are some first insights to prepare and learn. A huge thank you to Andrew to share his thoughts without any pre-warning. So in the next episode, episode 328 on Monday, let's talk about duplex development again. Andrew of Lawyers in Sydney will talk about the CGT, GSD, stamp duty and land tax implications, depending on how you structure your duplex development. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.